Greetings everyone and welcome back. I'm Dr. John and I am the fitness psychologist. Have an extra special guest for you today and an amazing episode. But before we get started, just a reminder, if anything from the show resonates with you, if it adds value for you, please go online at iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and leave us a five-star review and tell us your thoughts on the show, and that way we can keep the great content coming for you. So today, I have a special guest, and this gentleman is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with bachelor's degrees in both speech and physical education, holds a Master of Sacred Ministry degree from Multnomah Biblical Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He earned a certificate as a Cooper-trained health promotion director from the Cooper Institute in Dallas, Texas, and is a graduate of the National Speaker Association Oregon Speaker Academy. He is a veteran of the U.S. Army and has worked as a consultant with both the Portland Trailblazers and the Seattle Seahawks. It is my pleasure... To introduce to you, Mr. Oji Shah. Oji, thank you for being here. Please tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the fitness industry. My dad was a Boy Scout master, and and we got a Boy's Life magazine in the mail one day. And um, uh, back then, uh, exercise was not considered anything worthy to pursue unless you were a muscle head or just too dumb to do anything else. And sure. And, um, uh, but my dad got a boy's life magazine in the mail and a whole issue was devoted to exercise. Now, back then, if, if the doctors didn't even believe that there was any health benefits associated with exercise, if you went to the hospital with a heart attack, they'd say, uh, don't move, you know, yeah. we'll feed you. Just don't move. Right. <laughs> Moving is what got you here, you know, <laughs> and until, uh, Dr. Cooper, uh, Ken Cooper came along and developed the aerobics program. Uh, they just wouldn't budge. And uh, Dr. Cooper out-researched the medical community. And when I was uh, down there at the Cooper Institute, he continually saying, don't make decisions based on opinion, make decisions based on research. Sure. So he out-researched the medical people regarding health benefits of exercise. And pretty soon we had almost a third of the people in the country uh, trying to get involved in some form of aerobics. But I hadn't gotten to the aerobics end, but I, I did started uh, reading like crazy about everything I could get my hands on related to exercise. And um, uh, the uh, Boys Life magazine was just, just incredible at, at, at providing a, a fundamental fitness test and some exercise you can do to improve your scores. And I got so impressed with the whole experience that I got started doing just what everybody does when they find something they're excited about. They start telling everybody that comes within 10 feet of them. Exactly. And I found, unfortunately, that <laughs> fitness promotion in the good old U.S. of A. is a tough road. And most people sure weren't all that. Uh, at least back then, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah uh, uh, most people just have a tough time following through. And I think that the big quote about exercise back then was uh, some uh, former president of the University of Chicago was becoming famous for having said, whenever I feel the urge to exercise, I lie down until the urge goes away or passes or something. <laughs> and and that, that was the take. And so, but I went ahead and majored in physical education anyway and at the University of North Carolina. And uh, I looked around and looked at job opportunities. And there were two paths that you could take. 
you could become a, a, a physical education instructor and coach, mm -hmm. or you could get involved with health clubs, which were just starting to take off with European health spas and that type of thing. Okay. But I was impressed with the, with the, with the health spa industry. I talked with a guy here in Portland who owned a chain of 26 health spas around the country. And he said, uh, about 82% of the people who join never show up again within, you know, 30 days of having bought their lifetime membership. And what they do is, uh, Sounds like new year's day and new year every year and in the month of January, every year, uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they just put it into the business plan and, and the business plan is okay. Uh, we can sign up this number of people. And since, since only this number of people are showing up, we can sign up like three times more that can fit into the building. The fire code won't let them in if they all decide to show up at one time. Right. So, so, uh, uh, I didn't want to go that direction. Uh, they, they just weren't serious. If you went into a health club, and say, well, I want to get these people fit. And they'd say, hey, look, you're not here to get them fit. Go sell more memberships. And, and so uh, I looked at physical education, and I just remember the out-of-shape football coaches teaching PE in the public schools. And I wasn't impressed with that either. I didn't want to be a part of that hypocrisy. And I honestly had no clue as to what I was going to do. But in my senior year, the University of North Carolina had their first course in sports medicine. And it was a, a track for becoming an athletic trainer uh, in the public schools. And so I started taking those classes and until I found out they required a teaching certificate, which I didn't want. And, um, uh, but I, I finished the class that I was taking. And in that class, one day the conversation was about uh, what some guy was saying was the best kept secret in fitness. And apparently 50 years ago, the, uh, there's a track coach at San Jose State who found that runners had a lot of cardiovascular fitness, but they didn't have the strength that they needed that could make them better athletes and fewer injuries. Absolutely. And, uh, but, but they didn't want to lift weights. And that was the most prominent source of, of, of uh, fitness at that time. Right. And uh, so they, uh, uh, they started looking for a way to build strength without barbells. And, and uh, then there's a, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, which at that time was, was in the middle of trying to put a man on the moon, thanks to John Candy's big mouth. You know, we're going to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth this decade. And people said, really? <laughs> you know, NASA was saying, really? <laughs> <You know? laughs> we are? <laughs> yeah, like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> I hope you got some plans, because we, we don't have a clue. <laughs> and, you know, but but the, one of the major problems was uh, uh, zero gravity causes a reduction in muscle density and bone density, uh, similar to osteoporosis. And we know on the planet Earth, if somebody's susceptible to osteoporosis, put them on the barbells. I mean, it will create bone density and muscle sure. density, but uh, barbells don't work in zero gravity, they quickly found out. And so they were totally frustrated until uh, this track coach who put his, he had developed an exercise device that was based, based on friction resistance and put his track teams on it. In the first year, they were number two in the nation with only two scholarship athletes on their team. The next two years, they won national, consecutive national titles and people started talking. And so they, they put him on a speaker circuit and he started going around and asked, well, what did you do? How did you do all this? And, and he told them and nobody believed him. But, uh, uh, but NASA, well, somebody from NASA uh, was in one of the talks he did, actually uh, from Lockheed Missile and Space Corporation, that NASA had given responsibility for developing a workout that they can do in zero gravity. And uh, uh, 
the guys jumped up in the middle of this coach's talk and said, you just solved the problem of fitness in outer space. <laughs> and, and, and everybody looked around at him and said, what are you talking about? There's nobody in outer space. <laughs> you know? and, and the guy explained to him what he was doing, and he pulled the guy out of coaching for the first time in 15 years, put him in charge of a biomechanics lab, gave him a million dollars of our taxes. I'm told that was the amount. And, uh, and put that machine through the greatest scientific research, they say, before or since. They took it to the moon in the Apollo 11 moon landing and two other space flights. And uh, Wall Street Journal did a front page article. And all of a sudden, uh, they did what we always do when we find a good idea in this country. We commercialize it. We, we sell it. You know? and, and the guy said, no way. We're never going to let this become just another commercial fitness fad. So he went out and started recruiting medical and fitness leaders that he thought were good motivators and train them to go out and teach the American people how to apply this information. And so they, uh, I found out about him at the University of North Carolina. And he was coming through North Carolina uh, doing a recruitment trip. And I drove 300 miles to go see my first demonstration uh, by the inventor. And I was so absolutely impressed with what I saw and heard that I immediately applied for a job. Well, this guy was out recruiting, like you said, medical and fitness leaders that he thought could motivate people. And I felt like I could motivate people. Sure. And, uh, uh, but I, so I stood in a long line and, and, and got interviewed. 60% uh, uh, of people had masters uh, in uh, fitness, some form of fitness or physical education, or were medical doctors. And they wrote me the most beautiful rejection letter you ever saw. <laughs> but but I, I kept applying. They finally hired me, and I worked my way up to become district directors for Oregon and Washington. And wow. I, and then I, I noticed that because I, what we were doing was doing these motivational talks, and people would just pursue us. Uh, sure. You know, I'd go and speak into the schools on an assembly program, and I feel like the Pied Piper. The kids would follow me out to the car. I mean, it, it was incredible. And uh, what what was it that was such a big draw for the kids? It, w it was the exercise program, a, a, a way to exercise the way the astronauts worked out uh, that tremendously cut down on exercise time. Uh, they were talking about 10-minute workouts and, uh, and, and getting cardiovascular fitness in three to six minutes. And, uh, and of course, nobody was saying that. And, and so they, they thought it was crazy. In fact, I remember one medical doctor, I spoke at a, uh, a medical society in central Washington and and this, this young doctor uh, called me up and says, you know, what you said about getting cardiovascular fitness in less than 20 or 30 minutes is laughable. And now today, we don't think that way because uh, right. interval training is absolutely everywhere. And I got a, got a newsletter from the Cooper Institute uh, and was a study, a research portion of it written by uh, Dr. Uh, Steve uh, Farrell, who uh, is the pickiest researcher I've ever met in my life. He, he's always complaining about the poor research that's hitting the news about exercise. And, um, and, but he sent this research article that said that one minute of high intensity exercise was producing cardiovascular fitness and uh, blood glucose changes comparable to uh, 45 minutes of sustained aerobic exercise at moderate intensity. And I actually read that, and I, and in my brain, I didn't, it didn't register, because not even we were saying it takes, you can do it in one minute. And we were saying like three to six minutes or 10 minutes, but, but we weren't saying one minute. And, and it took me about three weeks to go back and look at that again and see that it really did say one minute. 
and so I immediately tried to try to get in touch with him. But but uh, but anyway, th th that method of exercise uh, was a thing that attracted the people. And the problem with that was that when you talk about the intangible of motivation, and you alongside that you talk about the tangible of a of a, of a tangible solution that you could use to the problem of time, which is the biggest objection. Mm -hmm. Then um, what happens is um, people gravitate towards the path of least resistance, which is the, the the tangible thing. I mean, to get myself and keep myself motivated, that's very difficult. But to buy an exercise tool that can help me get fit and stay fit, oh yeah, I'll buy it. And then they just put it on the counter and walk around it and think the aura of them owning it is what will get them fit. <laughs> And they finally figured out that that did. And I found, I realized that that didn't work either. After I got, I set sales records for rookies that I still, I think, haven't been broken. But then I looked back, I started calling people back because I wasn't in this business just to sell exercise products. Right. I right. wanted to get people fit. So I started calling the people up who I'd sold equipment to and said, how are you doing? And 60% of them hadn't taken the equipment out of the box. Oh, no. And I said, well, that's, that's not right. And so uh, I started researching fitness motivation and it started with me i asked myself why do you use this product and i remembered that in my first two weeks i was uh so unimpressed with the exercise equipment because it didn't feel like i was doing a good workout it didn't feel like i was working hard enough i wasn't sweating enough i didn't even get sore so after two weeks i figured this is not working and so I put the equipment down, said, I'm going back to my old workout. I went outside to run a mile. Then I was going to go to the gym and, and do some exercises. And, and uh, I ran the mile so strong that I couldn't believe it. And then I measured off 70 yards in this parking lot in this apartment complex where I live. And I used to be 98 and 100 yard dash. I was pretty quick. Wow. But I hadn't run like that in, in quite a while because at that time I was a Portland police officer. We just sat around the squad car. <laughs> <laughs> And if they, if they found a bad guy, they, they take me and say, okay, OG, you go chase him down and, and handcuff him. We'll bring along the car. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I did the 70 yards and, and, and I hadn't run that fast in years. So I got kind of impressed. I was thinking it must've been something I ate that made me this much more fit. Cause all I've done for two weeks is, is this little machine. And so I, uh, I got back on the program and, and then tested myself with a two mile run the next week, because at the time, the big argument in fitness was uh, how far do you have to run to get a true indication of cardiovascular fitness? And nobody believed that it was, uh, that it was one mile. It, right. it was like at least two miles. And so uh, I ran two miles and I was stronger because now I was focusing on it. Two miles after, is a benchmark they commonly use in the military, right? Isn't that, well, oftentimes they'll test people on in the military? Oftentimes it would be a, a two mile run, yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, so I waited another week and I did a, I did a five and a quarter mile run and I did the last mile in five and a half minutes. It was the first time in my life I've ever run a mile in under six minutes. So I said, well, this, wow. this can't, it can't be this, this simple, but it was, I tested myself weekly for four years before I realized the only reason I was using that exercise equipment was that I was checking myself every week. If I waited, if, if I missed a week of testing, I somehow could come up with all kinds of reasons not to exercise the following week. So I, I made a connection between exercise compliance and exercise evaluation 
on a weekly basis. I experimented with testing every two weeks or every 30 days. And I found there's a 50% dropout rate if you waited two weeks between tests. If there's a 90% dropout rate if you waited every 30 days. And this is at a time when everybody was saying, there's no physiological improvement in fitness in less than six months. And I was finding improvements in seven days. Sure. Uh, because of testing. So, so that's what I did. I, I wanted to maintain this uh, you know, false image of me as an athlete, uh, which I wasn't sustaining anymore because I couldn't work out enough. And, and, and so one day a week, I would go outside and do a two-mile run to measure my cardiovascular fitness. And then, but every day, I would do my workout uh, at home, and it would take generally about 10 to 20 minutes uh, to pull that off. Now, what was so the equipment exactly? What, like the, the, the piece of equipment, what did, the, what did that actually do? Like what kind of a, a machine or what, did, what was it? Well, here's where we've fallen down as professionals who, in this industry that, that I'm in, uh, where we use this equipment. And, and I consider myself kind of an outsider even to that industry because I, I, I've always been more committed to the motivation end of it than I have been to the equipment end of it. But once you are motivated, you're going to have to deal with the, the solutions that that equipment can solve. And, and, and so the biggest challenge we have in explaining it to people is, is understanding that uh, the best way to ma minimize your time in exercise, which people consistently say is their number one objection, I just don't have time, is right. that the best way to solve that problem is to work more efficiently, get more work done in the amount of time you're willing to spend. And uh, try to do it first thing in the morning because you have a 300% greater chance of getting it done than at any other time of day. Uh, so funny that you mentioned that because that's something I preach to everybody that, you know, that I, I speak to in my online community is getting it done first thing in the morning because you are significantly reducing the likelihood of fatigue, of life, of weather getting in your way. Yeah, um, a lot of people we're doing this, myself included, I've been doing this 75 heart day, uh, 75 heart challenge, and it's 75 straight days of working out twice a day for 45 minutes. And one of the workouts has to be outside. And so, um, you know, for me, I live in Florida, where the weather can do a lot of horrible things, heat, humidity, rain. So whether it's a weekday or weekend, I'm out there at five o'clock in the morning, because there's less chance of rain, less chance of heat and anything else that gets in the way. And yeah, like I said, you know, fatigue and life and other circumstances come up, you know, that oh, yeah. prevent people from compliance. Yeah, and, and it kills all the decision making that, that, that could take you out of your program. You know, I have to decide that no, it's a lifestyle. It's right. a habit. And I, I do it at a time that works for me, that I can get it in, I can have the fewest interruptions. And I've heard uh, one psychologist said that morning, when I read that somewhere, is, mornings is the best time to build anything into a habit. You want to write a book, you want to take medication, do it first thing in the morning. Absolutely. So, so, so that was the idea of, of, of trying to find something that was practical, uh, but you still had to solve the mental challenge of it. And so after I exhausted all possibility that weekly fitness testing did not work, uh, then I just gave up and said, I, this is what I have to do with my clients. And, and I've, start putting clients on the program and start testing them every 30 days uh, to see if maybe they were just more disciplined than, than me and can, can wait 30 days between tests. Nope, they couldn't. 90% dropout rate from their workouts. Yeah, if I, uh, the, the, but the equipment used friction resistance because one of the problems, as I mentioned on the TED Talk, 
was the overload principle. It's the, it's the biggest challenge to your time uh, in fitness. As you get more fit, it's going to take more work to get tired. Sure. Uh, uh, what's the name? Herschel Walker, the great football legend. Uh, winner. Yes. I've heard him consistently say, I do 1,500 push-ups a day and 3,500 sit-ups every day. And I'm sitting here thinking, no, I, I can't say what I'm, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> but, That's okay. You can speak to me on this podcast. They <laughs> put this guy as the director for the, the, the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports as a way to inspire young people to, to, to get physically fitted. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're talking about, that's, that's even beyond athleticism. Uh, one of my complaints about the way we approach fitness in the, with the kids is that many of the tests weren't looking for people to prove fitness as, it, as much as it was to, to prove their athleticism. And, and the, uh, the pyramiding theory of exercise participation has proven that that's not the case. People are not athletes, don't want to be athletes, uh, but, they will, but the ones who are athletes will tend to be heavily committed to exercise until their eligibility is used up and then they're out there like everybody else. Right. So how do you, how do you solve this problem? Well, what this coach found was that all athletes were using resistance as they got more fit and they wanted to keep the time down. So they use resistance to get tired faster and resistance could be as, as simple as I think there's a, a Greek mythical character or something that, that started progressive resistive exercise where he would lift a baby calf every day until the calf was full grown. Oh my gosh. And so, so what we did was use barbells. Uh, you could put a person on your back and, or the dog or whatever, but it's, it's simpler to use a barbell because you know exactly what the weight is. And, uh, and we, we lifted weights, but the problem with the weights was that, that in terms of efficiency, once you got the weight going, now it did build big muscles and people got strong and it was wonderful. Make a little skinny runt. Uh, looked like a, a real you know, muscular guy. But uh, the problem was that once you got the weight moving, there's tremendous stress on your joints and the momentum helped you move the weight. So you were doing a whole bunch less muscle work. Oh. And uh, our weightlifters, I remember them complaining about this back in the 60s. They, they were using bicycle inner tubes. And you hold one end, I'll hold the other. Let's see if we can make more muscle fiber work. Because it wasn't enough just to keep the workload the same. You wanted to involve 100% of the muscle fiber, which means that if you did a barbell curl, when you got to a 90-degree angle in that curl, your strength potential doubled because the levers are more efficient. Right. So you need to double the workload in the middle of the movement without stopping. And that was impossible at that time. And so this coach took this little machine with a rope, and it was like a repelling device. And he would put a handle on the end of the rope, wind the rope around the shaft, and the more rope he wound around the shaft, the higher the resistance got. So he took a little machine that weighed about a pound and a half, and he could literally create resistances anywhere from a few ounces to over a thousand pounds. And 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 as he moved, the resistance was accommodating. It changed to fit the exertion level of the person who was moving, and the speed was the thing they used as a barometer to tell them whether or not the resistance was correct. So we found that in, in our studies, it's about 12 seconds of movement to finish about 90% of the exercises. If you can get through in about 12 seconds, then that was the right resistance level for you. Okay. But what was happening is so much muscle fiber was getting involved. 
uh, that that it was just absolutely amazing. And so, a Physical Therapy Magazine back in 1967 wrote what they say was the best article ever written on this method of exercise. And in fact, they coined the term called it isokinetic, not isometric, isokinetic. And what you're doing is controlling the controlling the uh, the, uh, the the force, controlling the the the, the movement. And, uh, and controlling the force as a result and using the speed as an indicator. But they had a big machine called Cybex and they were calling, costing over $139,000 back in the 60s. And now you can get it for a half million dollars. And they only work one or two parts of the body. Right. So, right. so Physical Therapy Magazine said this is the best method of exercise in the country and it's the only way to work 100% of the muscle fiber, which means that, ah, you want to get stronger, you want to spend less time, that's the way to go. A sure. side benefit was, that the recovery time was dramatically less. The coach coordinator for the Olympic weightlifting team in 1974 said that his weightlifters using isokinetics got so much stronger that the ones who didn't couldn't compete with them in an Olympic weightlifting competition. And he said the recovery time was 21 minutes, not 48 hours. And you could isolate a lot of those minor muscle groups that got skipped over when you were doing powerlifting with the barbells. So it was just a tremendous boost to everybody. Except it was win-win all around. Yeah, so it was expensive and it was complicated. And so uh, this coach developed his own little uh, uh, rope friction device because, uh, again, the, the physical therapy people using this big machine. And he developed this uh, one and a half device, pound device that would get real close to the same results. You could control the speed, uh, you, you could uh, vary the resistance or control the resistance throughout the range of motion uh, while, as you're moving. And um, and he got all, got all these athletes that got really, really good uh, when they use it. Vince Lombardi found out about it, and he started using it with the Green Bay Packers, and pretty soon everybody in NFL was using it. So, so his career took off. So that, that was the machine that we used, and uh, that's the machine I continue to use. Uh, but again, the biggest challenge has been that we went out and recruited uh, motivators. We, we recruited uh, fitness professionals medical professionals but we didn't have any business training <laughs> you know so mm -hmm. so we weren't good salesmen and so we go out there and just tell people the truth and sometimes the best thing is is tell them things like it's fun and easy well we couldn't do that you know we had to say it it may not be fun and it may not be easy but it is important if i can produce this particular result if I can get your systolic blood pressure down 12 points in the first 30 days, your diastolic pressure down four points in the first 30 days, if I can get your flexibility score up so your back stops hurting, if I can get your cardiovascular endurance to look like you've been running around a track for 30 minutes and you all, you're only spending three to six minutes uh, running inside, coming down on the balls of your feet as opposed to coming down on the heels, getting less jar. But uh, so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, <laughs> big nutshell, huh? That kind of data sells itself. Well, yeah, it, not necessarily, you know, because that's not, unfortunately, we, we think of ourselves as being very objective people when you know that, that a lot of our decisions are, are emotional uh, choices that we make uh, based on things like, I like that guy's leotards. I think I'll buy his exercise program, you know, and, and, um, and so somehow we have, to, we have to be able to present these ideas to people in, in a way that, that, they, that they buy, that they're, they're willing to get into it. So I've, I've learned a lot about how, how to talk to people about fitness. I remember one of my first talks uh, that I did, and, and I was trying to explain the same idea to the people, and they weren't buying it at all. And, 
And I said, well, that's okay. Anybody who wants to find out about how to do this, you know, stay around after the meeting and the rest of you guys will read about you in the obituary column. Now that's, that's not a good sales tactic, please. You know, but that's where my head was at, at the time. And, and cause they were questioning the validity of what I was saying. Uh, but the funny thing is, and, and because also I have a degree in speech, I was so interested in being mechanically correct in, in, in speaking. You don't stammer, you don't ah, uh, you don't drop your notes, you don't do any of that stuff. You try to be perfect. Well, perfect wasn't working. People want real, real communication, you know, right. and they want real conviction, and they didn't see that in my perfect talk. And finally, uh, some guy after a meeting came up to me, looked me in the eye and said, look, do you really believe this stuff? Now, when you question my integrity, we got problems. <laughs> so so, so I, I went after him. I said, look. And then I went out. I said, let me tell you what I really believe. And I told him what I really believe. And, and he bought. You know, they wanted to know, did I have you know, conviction about this? Not all the, 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 the mechanical, uh, what, what do you call it, the, the, the manufacturer's uh, information about you really stand product. behind this product. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they want to know: Do I really believe this stuff? Is I'm just you know giving a line so that I'm supposed to, this is supposed to sell the product. And uh, I told them what I really believe, and 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 people started buying. So then I started to understand that I'm going to be better off and more effective being imperfect than I am being perfect. So I started stammering and stuttering and dropping my notes and all kinds of things. People loved it. You know, <laughs> I was I was real. <laughs> Sure. So that that's kind of the, the thing that I learned. I, I, I try to be real and, and uh, encourage people to be because there's so much that never gets communicated uh, if we can't trust each other. Right. And, and that's 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 what I live for. So sure. thank you for letting me talk this long. I'm out of here now, man. I, I'm out of wind, man. <laughs> OK. OK, Dr. John, you're you're up. <laughs> well, we're just getting started here. So let's talk about the motivation piece. Um, you know, I, that's what, what's been the most effective for you in your work over the, over the years in terms of keeping folks motivated when it comes to fitness. You know, we, you know, we talked about how, uh, you know, there's, there's a very big excuse of time. And then in your Ted talk, the other excuse that people gave was that they were just, you know, pretty much flat out too lazy. And so how do we, what's the best way that you found to combat those issues when it comes to keeping people motivated for getting fit following okay. exercise programs, following nutrition programs? What do you find has worked the best? Well, it, it's, it's the same thing to keep us motivated to do anything. And it's called your why, why are you doing this in the first place? You know, I had a guy that worked for me for a year, year and a half. And, uh, and he noticed being around me that one of my favorite questions was why. And, and, it, and, and if somebody gave me an answer, I wouldn't let, that, let it go. I'd say why to their answer. Sure. And now they're really having to think like they've never had to think about this thing before. Right. And if they're really good, I'll give them a third why. If a person can stick with me, hang with me for three whys in a, in a row, that's a pretty well thought out person. Sure. Now, I, I learned to do this when I was in the Army. I unfortunately was joined the Army for four years to be in a special military intelligence outfit that the military claimed was the top 10% of the Army. And, and uh, they had a lot of 
high college dropouts, a lot of people from the Ivy League, and 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 we sit around in this, this intelligence outfit uh, office doing you know stuff that we had to do in our job. But we'd have breaks, and, and we sit around and we talk to each other, and we and you you can imagine the, the the intellectual people, man, they're just they're just talking back and forth. Now I just gotten out of high school. I joined the army on my 18th birthday, and I was like I got thrown out of high school. You know I. I flunked the 11th grade. I wasn't a very good student. And, and uh, uh, they would uh, th they would be talking about things that I knew nothing about. But And I used to try to argue with them just because I wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. And and they just ran circles around me. And I finally got so humiliated. I just sat out and just listened for a year uh, to, to what they, they were saying. But, gotcha. but, but they were, what, what they taught me was that it wasn't so much whether or not what you were saying is true as it was your methods of argument, uh, you know, your, 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 yeah, your, your techniques of, of defending yourself. And, uh, and what we would do, we play this game where we would heatedly, passionately argue our position and then we would switch positions. If you really know what you're talking about and know all the variables and the whys, then you can argue the other person's position almost as passionately as you can your own. Sure. And, and, and so that, that's, that's something that I learned to do, to look deeper into why people are doing what they're doing. And I found in exercise, there was always a why. So one of my recent fitness posts, I talked about, I talked about the, the uh, thing that I learned in seminary of, of uh, there is a, there's a, a pattern of, of, uh, of life. There, what did I call it? call it a pattern it, it's yeah <laughs> life works in in in, you know, in predictable patterns uh phases that's what i call it predictable phases of life uh you, you have the the time when a when a couple is just married that's a phase of life when they have the first child things change uh, and life you know is not all that happy <laughs> because you never sleep and you have all kinds of issues and then when the child gets old enough to go to school that's another phase of life and and then when a kid becomes a teenager that's another phase of life uh so the, there are these phases predictable phases that you go through the same thing is true i predicted in exercise and and between like 14 and 21 hey the name of the game is is uh health clubs and the reason for the health clubs is more i want to look good right. and i call it I call it uh, fitness advertising. You know, the guy says, I really like to run. Really? Why do you like to run? Well, I just like to run. Well, why is that? And they can't tell me why they like to run. And I found out why they like to run. There are some girls down there that he likes, and they live down that street. Sure. And he runs down that street. Now, he's not running because he likes fitness. He's running because that's where those girls live. Now, if, if those girls you know, move, there's something happened so, so that they would be indoors more than they'd be outside watching him run, then, then I guarantee you he would change, change his uh, love for whatever. Well, I like being in the gym now. The motivation. Then it would go from being extrinsic to intrinsic motivation in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't knock somebody else's motivation. I just want them to explain to me what it is. Do you know what your motivation is? If, if the reason you're willing to get in shape and to exercise and to run is because you want to be seen by the opposite sex, then that's fine. Go for it. Do, do that. Uh, but just acknowledge that that's what it is, and, and you may become better at identifying things that can help you to get what you want in that particular area. So when I looked at, at fitness 
and and uh, like I said, I, I I wanted to know the the real truth about why should we exercise? What what argument can I put forth that virtually everybody has to agree with? And the only thing I could come up with was health. I mean, health is universal. <laughs> Sorry, when your health goes, I don't care if your favorite activity is sitting on a bar stool drinking beer, watching Monday night football or Thursday night football or whatever it is these days, it takes a certain level of health to be able to sit on a bar stool. Right. So how much fitness does it take to be able to sit on a bar stool? Do you know? And, you know, you got to have back strength and, and abdominal strength. You got to have all those things just to be able to do something that you enjoy. So I try to get people to understand their why and to agree with it. And I start with health. If you can't stay healthy, I don't care what your favorite activity is, you're not going to be doing a lot of it. And consistency and sustainability. You're not going to have a quality of life. You want to have a quality of life. So consistency and sustainability are crucial issues that have to be addressed. If you can't sustain it, then, then don't do it. Because after a while, your body gets tired of uh, succeeding and failing and succeeding and failing and succeeding and failing. And then it just says, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not playing this game anymore. Or I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm through trying to fight a, a losing battle. There's obviously no solution to this. And this is where the professional, we, we have a, a tough time with people because after a while they've gotten exposed to so much stuff, they're just saying, no. You, right. and, and personal trainers that I talk to say, well, the biggest challenge today in fitness is we've, we've gotten exposed to so much stuff on the internet that people are, are just so confused and, and frustrated about their inability to follow through with what's out there. So you tell me why you're doing it. And, and, and I'll, I will give you some idea of what path you might want to take to have the best probability of sticking with it. So what's your why? And well, this is, I'm, you bring up a, a great point about the sustainability. Yeah. The sustainability is, is, is a huge part of it. And I think back to your Ted talk and I, I, you, you said one of the worst things that folks could do when we were talking about obesity is go on a diet. Amen. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with that. And it sounds cliche. I mean, you hear everybody saying, you know, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. Amen. But, That's the know, difference. All, all these diets, you know, all, there's all these different fads and things that ask you to cut out, you know, whole big basic parts of your nutrition for a while. And yeah, they get results, but we want to keep those results. Absolutely. And everybody is jumping back and forth and, yeah, and, and before long, they end up, you know, in the same place they were at the start or sometimes even in, in worse condition. And so, you know, having something that's, that's sustainable, you know, is great, whether it's, you know, exercise or, or, or nutrition. Um, I mean, with, with the exercise piece, the other thing I liked from your TED Talk was that you said people should be exercising every day, you know, not three, four times a week, because then it becomes a battle with yourself about when you're going to work out. Absolutely. If, if you're working out every day, then the only debate is which workout am I going to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If I can get the American people to just get that perspective, I mean, and this is, I'm going after that. I, I was surprised how many people actually bought that idea every day. I expected to hear a lot more rejection from the, the, the professional fitness people and that stuff that, that I've gotten. I've gotten just fascinating comments and people saying, I went out and tried it every day, OG, and you're right it's actually easier to do it every day because I, I eliminate that whole uh, issue of decision-making. And I found that when I don't want to do something, I can spend more time 
trying to debate whether or not I should than it would have taken to just do it anyway. Right. So, so just get it done. Like, like you said, just do it. But you have to do it with a purpose in mind. And the thing that reinforces that is when you reward yourself, which means I acknowledge that this has been a victory for me. Right. Uh, and, and that's what I think is so great. I mean, there's a book called The Four Agreements. Um, and uh, in The Four Agreements, one of the four agreements is being impeccable with your word. And what I think is so rewarding about it when, you know, what makes people so happy when they, when they do stick one is, is you're being impeccable with your word because you're setting out and you're doing, you know, you're doing what you say that you're going to do at the outset. And so when you go through one of these challenges and you, you complete the 10 day challenge or the, in my case, you know, the, the 75 day challenge and you've done everything that you said you were going to do at the outset. I mean, there, I mean, there's just so much, you know, that's an intrinsic reward right off the bat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. If there's any prize at the end, just by doing what you said you were going to do and showing that to the world, you know, and then afterwards that's an extrinsic reward, but, but just knowing in your mind that you, you completed that and you did what you set out to do. I mean, there's, there's no better feeling than that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that was something that I learned. Yeah. Growing up a physical wimp <laughs> in my life. Uh, back oh, when I was growing up, <laughs> I, I, I remember <clears throat> uh, back when I was growing up, Jim Ryan uh, was the first American to run a mile in under four minutes at, at the university of Kansas. And I would watch wide world of sports and Jim Ryan would, be on TV and he's running that mile. And now, now I would watch that and get all inspired. And then I would go outside after he, he had finished running and I said, I'm going to run a mile. And I'd get out there and I'd go a quarter mile. And I said, wow, that was a little bit harder than I thought. You know? sure. and, but I got three quarters of a mile to go. And after a half mile, I'm trying to talk myself out of doing this. I mean, I really didn't mean it. Well, I would a half mile. That's good enough. And then I, I just kind of remember like just what you just talked about. I said I was going to do it and didn't say I was going to do it if it hurts, unless it hurts too bad. It, I said, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to do it as long as it doesn't hurt, then I got to say that up front. Right. But that's not what I did. I, I said, I said, I'm going to do it. And so I got I, I to cash the check that I wrote when I said that's right. You keep your <laughs> mouth shut. And, and, and it really makes you very careful about the things you commit to. And, you know, I ain't, I'm not saying it and I'm not going to go through the pain and suffering of, of getting it done. And so that's kind of an attitude that I, I kind of grabbed on to. Uh, just be careful what you, what you open your, your big mouth to commit to. But it also made me more sensitive to my why. I had to have a why uh, for for doing this thing and uh, and I remember what is it uh, Winston Churchill had this great speech he said it's the most eloquent speech ever where he just said never give up never give up never give up and then they said he sat down but then I read another version of what people said he said was uh, he says never give up but then he said said something like except to end the reasons of sense and good judgment. <laughs> so, so he gives himself a way out, which I think is probably more reasonable. Uh, but you don't do things just because, you know, I just said I was going to do it, but it's, he was gonna, I'm going to die doing it. And I don't think that's the best way to, to go either. So, uh, so somehow we just have to be more sensitive to the implications of, of what we're committing to. But then once we do it, right, as long as it's reasonable, 
to do it. And so I say, you got to be aware that your body's healthy. Uh, I used to have a lot of pains when I was growing up, my chest and stuff, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And, and uh, I, I, my family couldn't afford to buy lunches at, at, the, at the school. So it's like 25 cents. We had five kids, you know, just can't give five kids, you know, buck, buck and a quarter every day to, to have lunch. And, um, and, and, and so I, I, I always felt like the other kids had an advantage because they had, you know, full three meals a day. I mean, I got in the army for three meals a day for the first time in my life, you know. So, wow. so I feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to be, be doing some great stuff here because I can eat three meals a day. But, but I was, I became really conscious of feeling secure that my body is healthy because I didn't want to push my body. If my body was saying pain, and and I'm just going to push through the pain, well, that's okay sometimes. But sometimes your body's telling you no for a reason. Sure. There's something bad down the road if you continue working through this pain. There's a time to do that and a time not to do it. Right. And so I like to get checked out if I'm feeling pain oh, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a feedback system. It's there for a reason. I mean, pain is something that's adaptive and it's built in, you know, because that's, our, that's its way of telling us that something is wrong. Exactly, exactly. So you got to start studying your body. You got to start learning your body. And, uh, and then you put that together with the, the understanding of my, um, I have a strong why. And, and, and then I, I need to learn the particulars. I have to design a program and then measure the results of that program. And, and then the third thing, of course, is, is to, to reward yourself for having done it. And, and, and uh, one of the, the great rewards, and, and, I, and I, I think that there's a difference between your reward and your why. I think your, your why has to be greater than your reward. Sure. Uh, something bigger than that. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a big picture kind of thing. I mean, it's. Yeah. Because if, if, if all you want is the reward, then what can happen is you will start to cheat on when you get the reward. Right. And, 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 and that's not good. Well, uh, my reward's going to be, I get to eat this candy bar or whatever. Well, great. And you say, well, that was close enough. So I'll just give myself the candy bar. Well, you right. just killed your program. Right. You know? So your why has to be strong enough to put some integrity with your why. Exactly. And, 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 but then you have to be faithful to rewarding yourself because there's nothing worse than being promised a reward for doing something difficult and you don't get the reward. That's when people change jobs, you know, and stuff exactly. like that. <laughs> I, I was on a job like that just last year. I, 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 I had a side gig that I did and, and they promised me bonuses and everything. And I calculate, because I had like two weeks of, of downtime during the holiday seasons when, most people are more committed to getting fat than they are fit. And so, uh, so, so, so I, I, I took the job and I found out that I didn't, I didn't get as much work as they told me I was going to have. I didn't get the bonuses. I, and I got probably half of what they told me I was going to get. Now I could have used my time a, a lot more productively doing other things sure. than, than, than what I ended up doing. So, so if you uh, are promising yourself the reward, make sure you get the reward, but don't, but don't cheat and give yourself the reward before you, right. you know, achieve your purpose. And, and, and again, it's the, that combination of the, the strength of your why with your faithfulness to rewarding yourself, uh, but accurately measuring to make sure you're telling the truth about the result that you're getting. You can't just say, well, I want to lose a few pounds. <laughs> I had a client that, that said, oh, gee, I, I'm thinking about joining this, this uh, uh, program at a, at, a, at a fitness club. 
Uh, it's a weight loss program. And I'm not sure whether or not I'm getting a straight story. Will you call them up and give me your opinion of, of, of their program? So I called them up, didn't tell them who I was. Said, hey, um, I heard you have a weight loss program. Uh, can you tell me something about it? And then they start saying, oh, yes. Well, we'll guarantee you seven-pound weight loss in the first week. And uh, it'll be a great program, and we'll do these things for you. We'll do these things for you. But seven-pound weight loss in the first week. Guarantees with anything within health or mental health. That's a red flag right off the bat. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, now let me see. It's like, what, 3,500 calories to a pound of, of fat? And, uh, and she's giving me, so seven times that. We had well, 25, 20, uh, 21, 23, whatever, 23, 24 uh, thousand calories uh, of fat. You're going to lose calories. You're going to burn or eliminate within a week. A 24,000 calorie deficit in a week. Yeah, 24,000 calorie deficit in a week. I'm thinking, how is that going to happen? That's like, that's like worse than not eating, you know? Sure. I mean, uh, it, it, it didn't make any, any practical sense. And it, and it certainly, and, and, but they're saying we'll guarantee you seven pounds of weight loss. Well, it can't be fat. How are you going to lose that much? Well, it's got to, you can lose water. Right. You, can, you can lose muscle density because the body's going to break down muscle before it breaks down fat. That's the last, fat is the last thing it goes for. Right. So that, uh, that's not good for anybody going catabolic. You know, you get people out of being anabolic and then, yeah, you, you start storing the fats and that's, that's counterproductive. It might look good on the scale, but it's not going to yeah. look good for anybody's real le level of fitness. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I call her back and said that it doesn't make any sense. I found that in keeping track of people's body fat, if they're losing more than about, I don't know, two to four pounds in a month, I found that that uh, something's wrong. Now, you know, there are large, very large people that have very large problems that they can sure. certainly lose 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 faster than that. Quickly, yeah. But but if you're if you're monitoring body fat and and, and you're changing your know, behavior and, and and nutrition consistently, and uh, about a two percent body fat in a month is is a lot. I know that well, not a lot, but but it's sustainable. I mean that mm -hmm. they can that they can keep up. Right, that's right. that's what I learned. And again, a lot of people look at, well, some people, I don't say a lot, but I, I get pretty good acceptance of, of the information, the data that I put out, because I I learned to be very disciplined about about being able to source my data. Uh, because, you know, I talk a lot, medical people and stuff, and a lot of times I don't know who's in the audience, but I appreciate it when uh, I remember one doctor stood up in the middle of my talk and said, the thing I appreciate about this guy is his information is correct. <laughs> he's, he's thinking the right information. And I'm saying, thank you. I, I live for that. I have a bachelor's degree in physical education. I, I don't have the academic credentials to do this, but, uh, but I, I do spend a lot of time studying and I've spent a lot of time at the colleges and, and been on staff practically at, at a couple of colleges. And uh, which I, I really enjoy uh, with my you know poor academic background in the beginning, um, but uh, I've learned so much out of the classroom. Like Einstein said, "What knowledge is what is left when I've forgotten everything I've learned in school." You know, and I I, I believe that there's practical learning and and there's classroom learning. My wife is excellent at classroom learning, right? But right. I'm better at at on the street learning, right? So that's what I do.
sounds, you know, it sounds like you've been able to educate yourself in a lot of different areas and, and really educate a wide variety of people, you know, people throughout the lifespan and, you know, professional athletes. And, you know, uh, um, it, it's, it really sounds like you've been very, very successful. Um, and speaking of folks throughout the lifespan, um, I know in your TED talk, you talked about, you know, uh, you mentioned a, a study with the, um, where they did physical fitness tests with folks here in the United States. And I, I, I think it was about 57% of the, uh, the youth had actually failed this physical fitness test. And over in Europe, the same physical fitness test, only 7% had failed that. Um, talk a little bit more about that study and kind of the reasons behind that you think are behind that. And I guess what we can do about, uh, do about it to keep that pattern from continuing. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the study was done back in the fifties or sixties and, uh, I've gotten yeah, tremendous feedback. In fact, one of the ladies who was involved with the study, uh, I think she's passed away, but her assistant, uh, read, heard, heard my Ted talk and actually emailed me and said, she has some of the data. And, and she said, you're, he said, you are welcome to any of the research stuff that she did, that she accumulated and that she saved uh, if, if, if you want it or need it. And, and, you know, and they're back in Florida too. So, oh. uh, uh, you know, is it something I, I'd, I'd like to do at some point? Oh, no, Florida was in Arizona. Anyway, I'm sorry. But, uh, but yeah, what, what they basically uh, did was, uh, you know, looked at, you know, how, how those kids would score on a similar test. And I'm told also they did it in Australia, they did it in New Zealand, and it just got worse for the Americans uh, everywhere they got. I think New Zealand was only 5%. Oh my gosh. Failure rate and, and no, Australia was 5%, New Zealand was only 3% of failure rate on a test that 57.8% uh, of the American kids failed. When they start trying to look at the why behind it, the first thing they noticed, they started notice, noticing uh, in, industrialized nations are going to have um, more excuses not to do physical things that we generally did just to stay alive. Sure. And, but Europe, please. I mean, they're not that much less industrialized than we are. But right. they, they did notice that with like the European kids, uh, the price of gas there was like six, seven dollars a gallon. And Everybody's walking and biking. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. The whole bunch more walking and biking just because of economic reasons. And sure. whereas I think that's even the case now. I mean, I mean this this study was back in the sixties. You said fifties or sixties. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even now, I mean, the price of gas. I mean, you, you go over to Europe. I mean, for a lot of folks, having a car is more trouble than it's worth. You know, as yeah. far as just, you know, the gas and having a place to put it and everything else. And so right. everybody's, you know, you see everybody walking everywhere. You see them riding bicycles. I mean, yeah. riding bicycles down places that most of us probably wouldn't even dare to ride a bicycle. in. Exactly. <laughs> Lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they give priority to it over there, actually. I mean, some places like in, um, in the Netherlands, um, you know, they give priority to people who are, you know, foot traffic and, um, you know, bicycle traffic over people in automobiles, you know, because they're, they're, you know, for the environment, you know, but it also exactly. encourages exactly. an active lifestyle. Yeah. And, and some people claim that, you know, what we should do, we just go back to the old days. Oh, no, we shouldn't. You know, you know we, we, we are, we're a progressive nation. Uh, 
economically, uh, prosperous nation economically. And the reason we are is because of some of these great ideas that we, we've come up with and, and, and innovated and, and, and built machines and solutions to problems. That is a great thing. Um, but somehow in the midst of all that, we have to figure out a way to keep the, the body going and give right. the body what it needs. And, and, that, and that isn't going away. Right. That isn't going away depending on who's in political office. The body still needs what it needs. Exactly. And you don't figure out a way to do it, then there's going to be problems. And, and that's going to be expensive right. uh, when, whenever the body starts to break down. And that's exactly what we're finding. I had a chance to be a speaker at a convention uh, for the uh, Oregon Diabetes Association. They gave me a stack of data uh, on, on, on diabetes. And uh, one of the things they were saying is that every of the kids born in the year 2000 in this country, uh, like two thirds of them are going to come down with adult onset diabetes. No, a third of them are going to come down with adult onset diabetes at some point in their lives. And if we don't, if we don't figure out a way to stop this epidemic uh, then within 30 years, within 30 years, it's going to financially bankrupt our healthcare system. Right. So, so there are consequences to these choices that we make when we can't find a solution and made it, make it, again, a sustainable solution because the brain hates the up and down and it will talk you out of doing it. Exactly. And, exactly. and you'll, you'll, never, you'll never follow through. So uh, sustainability, you have to do something, but it has to be something effective and it has to be something sustainable. And when you start putting that requirement on it, I just, I mean, I'll take on anybody. I, think, I mean, let's, let's sit down and talk about fitness. I don't care what your credentials are. I got a chance to meet with a guy named Brian Sharkey. Brian Sharkey is a professor of physiology at the University of Montana, Missoula. And he uh, is credited with having written more textbooks on exercise physiology than anybody. And so I like to go into the college and meet people that I had never met before and, sure. and talk with them, the people who write the books and that stuff. And and um, I sat down with, with Brian and, and, and we talked and I explained to him what I was doing and what I was learning about, 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 uh, about physical fitness. And, uh, and I was explaining that the key to motivation to me, I found is weekly fitness testing. And uh, I, I come back and I test these people and great things happen. And he said, well, the reason they're doing that, the reason they're so effective is because of your personality. You know, it's a personality sale. You just go in there and you rah-rah sugar daddy them and, 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 and they just like that. And, and, and that's why they do it. And I talked to my clients about that. I asked them what they thought about that. They said, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. They, they, they had often mentioned that, oh, gee, man, you're, you're a busy guy. You know, you, you, you don't have to come in here and test them. You can just get anybody. <laughs> anybody. You just send anybody out here. We, we know what we need to do. Right. They're just they're just giving us the data. This is giving the current data on what's happening with our bodies, and and so I I, I believe that I, I don't think it's anything magical about it. It's just the idea that we're we're goal oriented creatures. You got to give us a reason, right? We they have that accountability. Yeah, we, we, accountability. That's what that's what Weight Watchers did. Man, we come in and have to do a weigh in in front of everybody. Like one lady said, they made me sing the Miss Piggy song. <laughs> I didn't make my weight. Okay, well, whatever floats your boat, you know. But but that's all it is. I, I don't think I don't think I'm saying 
anything that people don't understand or not applying in other areas of their lives. Sure. But what, what we have to figure out how to do, and, and here's the problem with, with everything we've done in fitness, is we have to make it monetarily survivable. Right. Because people just won't spend, spend the, the time if they can't get a return on the money. And they have to, to a certain extent. I mean, you know, we can donate a certain amount of time to, to what we do, but it's a challenge. Right now, my project is I'm working with assisted living. And I've been working with a 84-year-old lady now for six months, oh, wow. uh, five or six days a week. Uh, the first four weeks, for four months, it was six days a week. And, and work with her about you know, 20 to 45 minutes each, each visit uh, because uh, she'd, uh, she was actually a fitness testing client of mine and had been for over 30 years. Oh. And, and for some reason, because I test her every week, I test her blood pressure. I mean, you know, I, I, I know this lady's body. She, she's, she's a committed athlete. She has a health motivation. That's her big why. Uh, and uh, she, she'd come to me and said, you know, my family has a history of dying in mid-50s. And uh, she was in that area. And she said, I don't want to die. You know, can you help me? And we put her on my exercise program. I had to do the three-minute step test. She couldn't. I can't remember whether she finished it. I, I, I can't remember whether she finished it or just had a high score, but she didn't pass the step test. And we finally worked with her enough that she, within 30 days, 50% of my clients will pass the step test. Within six weeks, 75% will, will pass it. And 90% will continue to pass it as long as they test once a week. Sure. And so I've had like 94 year olds. I mean, the whole deal, but, but this lady uh, particularly interested me because she was, she was going through this thing where she went through, uh, she, had, she had a stroke. She, she went off her exercise program for some unexplained reason. And I, I warned her <laughs> because her blood pressure had a tendency to, to go up. And um, when she got off of her program and uh, I never found out to this day why she went off of it for three days and the fourth day she had a stroke. And, oh, and uh, so they put her in, uh, in assisted living, not assisted living, in a, uh, a nursing home for okay. critical care. And uh, then she got out of that and went into assisted living. And then uh, I think the insurance companies allowed one visit a week by a physical therapist. Well, that isn't enough. I, mean, I was going to say, well, yeah, one, one day a week of anything isn't, that doesn't. It's, much... it's just nothing. It's virtually nothing. And, and, uh, and so I, I'm watching this and, and watching, you know, the people looking at this lady, they were expecting her to die. I mean, that's what people do. They, they go there and they deteriorate. Sure. Right. Get better yeah, not getting you. any workouts or, you know, atrophy is going to kick in and you stay in bed and then and everything else starts to deteriorate after that. Absolutely. She's, and she's depressed about her new circumstances and stuff. Of course. This lady, was, this lady was highly, highly active. I mean, she not only did the exercise that I prescribed for, she went out and walked three to six miles uh, a day. And um, uh, she believed in every day. We, we both agreed on that. And so here she was. And, and I wasn't going to let her go out that way. You know, I, I knew there was a champion inside this lady and, and I'm going to, I'm going to help her bring it out. And, and so I, I started meeting with her and man, she is, she has grown tremendously. She's gotten so much better. She's become the talk of the facility. And, and now next week they're going to have me come in and have me scheduled for a couple, two months now. I'll be going in to present uh, to the staff and the residents. Uh, about the work that I've been doing. And I've talked to other directors in assisted living and uh, trying to get them on board and get things happening in their facilities. And they all agree 
they all agree that uh, that uh, something needs to be done and that there is no no real follow-through. It's like the people are between critical care and being able to go to a health club. Personal trainers can't help them. They have no training in this area. Right. And so um, I, I, I have this group I call community fitness leaders where I try to find professional people and medical people, uh, fitness people who, uh, who believe as I do that health is the, is the most important why Absolutely. that you have. And it's the most sustainable because your, your health needs are going to be there constantly. Sorry. I mean, 40 hours after you quit working out, whatever fitness you establish, you start to lose. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so we have to sustain it for the rest of our lives. Yes. We have to modify it uh, as things change about our bodies, but, but we need to be thinking long range and we can do this. This is, this is not something insurmountable, but we just have to do it. Of course, the insurance companies won't pay for it because, you know, they can't make any money off of that. Right. And I'm and not it's unfortunate that. that we can't impress upon them the concept of cost offset, which we talked a lot about in the mental health field, which is if you invest a little bit more now, you know, with, with outpatient services and outreach, it's going to save you a lot more money in these expensive inpatient services that are going to come later on as a result of the neglect that's happening now. Exactly. But unfortunately, the insurance companies don't quite see it that way, but um, oh, yeah. that's, no, that, that, that's, that's the approach they're going to have to have if they're going to avoid you know, the, this health crisis that's, that's coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the argument. And, and they've come up with these wellness programs, and I'm, I'm going to be taking on the wellness programs here real soon after I get my nerve up a little bit more. <laughs> that's a tough one because I know they, I mean, that's the big thing. The insurance company is basically taking over wellness. You know, it's not, yes, they have. it's wellness. <laughs> you don't even want to get me started on that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well then you figured it out too. Okay. No, but, just, I, I just, you know, how much the insurance companies can be, uh, can really get in the way of uh, wellness and doing good practice and, yeah, we we could do a whole other probably couple podcasts on that. <laughs> oh that, yeah, that's that's yeah. A huge, oh, yeah. huge frustration for you know, for people that are consumers, you know, patients, clients, and providers as yeah. well. I mean, for for both of us, absolutely, it's, absolutely. Because I yeah, yeah, I look at the doctors, man, and and I say, well, why don't you? Too. What, what you've been sixty percent of your ninety percent of your training has come from pharmaceutical companies uh, in medical school. I mean, uh, so but. You know why don't why don't you do some preventive things with with the patients, and and they're pressured by the American Medical Association. You know you dare not deviate from, from what we think is is protocol because we won't support you, right? Uh, if you get into trouble, uh, you have yeah, the insurance no company you if you're not doing. Uh, yeah, that's right. Insurance company, we will not pay you. I mean, people are having to fight to collect their bill, collect their bill. And once they've done the work, because they said, well, we don't acknowledge that as legitimate, what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and, and then you got the, the attorneys, you know, they're, they're saying, well, you didn't do this. Well, that doesn't work. I, I had a situation with my wife where she has this nasal problem. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and one of the things the doctor said is one of the ways you can treat it is to have surgery, some, some nasal surgery. And, uh, and so we were changing insurance companies at the time and the insurance company was going to deny my wife the ability to be on the, the family policy because, 
uh, she hadn't had that nasal surgery. And they were going to try to require her to have the nasal surgery. Well, we had researched the nasal surgery, and, and it doesn't work. <laughs> we, we couldn't find anybody that it worked for. And, and, and they were actually ended up worse off as a result of having the surgery. And, 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 and yeah, they still be acceptable. Yeah, we, we require you to have this nasal surgery, which doesn't work, is going to make you worse off. And in the first place, and the doctor had never said that my wife should do it. He was just naming that as one of the alternatives for people who have the condition. Right. And, and so I finally wrote them what they said was the most heated letter they've ever gotten. <laughs> you know? and, but I made the point that the only person is going to be better off from this whole situation is the surgeon. You know, the surgeon's going to make some money. Right. My wife's going to be worse off. The insurance company's going to be worse off because you're having to pay for this. Right. And, I mean, what's this about? You know, and, and the doctor never intended it as, uh, as the treatment mm -hmm. uh, for her anyway. And so finally, I, I got the doctor to write. The doctor had, you know, made that suggestion that it was an alternative, and 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 said, "No, I, I never said that this is what she needs. I just said this is one of the things that commonly done for this particular situation." And they changed her mind. So that those are the kinds of the kinds of battles that that make not a lot of sense at all because of the the preconceived notion that that we have to toe the line and make everything work when in fact the human body is is so different from person to person and our bodies are all changing that we have to have a much more uh, open mind uh, to asking the the body what it thinks and, and and seeing what the person is willing to do because their attitude has a lot to do they're finding out with how they respond to treatment sure uh, uh, bedside manner is real you know and, uh at probably i had i never seen so many doctors in seminaries i had my, my seminary class i go well, what what's this about and they said well man we get to a point where there's just so much we can we can tell people and and, and we just don't have training to go beyond, beyond that and talk about the spiritual and that type of thing so we need help <laughs> and and so they they come back to schools in order to get that that type of training because they think that that's that's an important uh important aspect of it so so Piece by piece, we're, we're breaking it down. We're finding people like yourself and, and uh, who just always amazed me because you guys got credentials to, to be accepted, totally accepted. But you, you deviate and go look at me. Well, I'm, I'm looking at what's best for the, for the patient and not just what's most popular or makes less stress for me. Right. You know, that's, that's a tough decision. And I really respect you for that. So Appreciate that. I have one final question. I, um, I want to be respectful of your time, but I have one final question. Oh, talking about the why, what, how do you think we can best approach the, the why question with children to get them to put down their phones, put down their iPad, put down their Xboxes, and, you know, and put down their high fructose corn syrup drinks and their fast, you know, or, you know, living fast food to try to, you know, get them motivated. You know, health is the biggest motivator. How do you think we can best communicate that to children to get them better motivated, you know, when it comes to their health? Because that, that seems to be a really big issue that, you know, I, I can really see spiraling out of control for us. Well, I think the number one thing that's going to impact uh, bringing that, that change about is the same thing that the state of Oregon found 
is the number one indicator of uh, what's going to happen in the exercise area. The number one indicator that the state of Oregon, the Oregon Health Policy Commission found in their study on uh, what will change the way kids behave in exercise is what they see being modeled by the uh, people that they respect in their lives, uh, parents, grandparents, and teachers. When they see the, the grandparents, parents, and teachers modeling that behavior, then great things will happen. I remember, remember sitting in an airport and, uh, and this lady was on her phone and she had two little girls and they were running around there and she was oblivious to them. And gonna get good doing the pulling on the pulling on mommy thing, and and I mean, they just wanted mommy's time. They they wanted. I mean, and I'm not sure how important the phone call was, but apparently it was, it was important enough. Where because she spent a lot of time. This wasn't like a couple minutes. This is like 30, 40 minutes. I'm watching this lady. She's sitting across from me, and uh, and uh, and she's constantly on that phone. Now, what what's the message to those kids? You know, the phone comes first. And, and more important than a face-to-face interaction. Yeah, the kids didn't learn this from osmosis. You know, they they watch some people uh, uh, behave that way. And if you want to unravel it, it isn't going to happen unless you can figure out a way to to have adults also uh, start to change. The job of a child is to become like the adults around them, and right. that's exactly what they do. So when my kids were growing up, I wanted to use my exercise machine, and and uh, but. I started them out when they were babies and just, I had exercises for them before they could walk uh, because I read that they, be, they develop physically and emotionally better and, and cry less if, they, if you get them exercising. And so I had little things that I would do with them before they could even walk. But, uh, but then as they got, got up where they could walk, and then they saw, us, they saw us using the exercise equipment, the isogenetic exercise equipment, then we would, we would have them uh, you just play around with it and we, we do things with it. And then when they got three years old in my, my house, it becomes mandatory. And so that's, that's what we did. We, it, you, you had to do it. And then it wasn't quite so much fun. <laughs> the fun went out of it fast. <laughs> so we had to play little games with them. We, we said, uh, uh, we'll take some animal stickers. And after each workout, you get to pick, pick, peel off an animal sticker and put it onto your exercise machine. And, 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 and that worked until they got old enough where they got fed up with that. So we had to take all the stickers off. <laughs> then you got to get more powerful reinforcers. <laughs> but we did, we did weekly fitness testing and, and that's what they, that's what they live for because we made, uh, we, we had consequences to not passing your test. Like if you didn't pass your test, you had to do two a day workouts until you did uh, oh, wow. once, once a week test, but it was a pretty good test. It was like the three minute step test. Uh, 16 a quarter inch high. Well, actually, we started about at eight inches. We went to 12 inches, then the 16 a quarter, and uh, and then uh, uh, and they, they were required to do push-ups. I mean, the public schools and then Navy SEALs, most common tests: push-ups, sit-ups, and running. Right. The, the, these are the foundations. So, so uh, we we didn't have them do sit-ups uh, except you know occasionally. We had them do the push-ups every week. My daughter was required to do 40 as she was growing up. My son was required to do 60 in addition to pass the three minute step test. So, uh, and, and then if they beat their personal best on, on, on uh, oh, we take them out on the track and we have them run about two or three times a year. 
if they could beat their personal best, they went down to the trophy store and bought them a little $5 trophy with a running figurine on it. Oh, nice. And, and engraved it. By the time they got to be like 10 years old, they had a headboard full of trophies and people walking in their bedroom going, wow, you must be a champion or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> They're competing against themselves. But, but it's, the, that behavior was being modeled by the people around them. And, and so we can talk it. We can, we can come up with all kinds of things that the public schools is going to do. There's nothing the public schools can do that trumps what's happening at home. Right. Uh -huh. so, so if you're going to change the kids and you're serious about it, go deal with the parents. And unfortunately, there are a lot of fitness leaders that don't buy that either. They don't buy that the parents are the solution. In fact, one of the real disappointing things I found is there's a guy down in, uh, uh, I think it's at Greenville, South Carolina or North Carolina, uh, who, he, who had gone to his kids, it has the, his county had the highest uh, death rate in the state. Mm -hmm. And they were dying of heart disease and diabetes. And he went to his fourth grade students and said, do you know what heart disease is? They said, no. Do you know what diabetes is? They said, no. He said, well, we've got a problem because you're just going to be repeating what your parents are doing. Right. You're going to be dying if I don't intervene here. And so he noticed that exercise is always on the back burner on, on the agenda. And so he went and decided what would happen if we made exercise the centerpiece of the, of the high school, of the school curriculum. Right. And, and so he designed a potential curriculum with exercise as a potential, as a centerpiece, and then made everything else subject to what happens around the exercise. Mm -hmm. And they approved it as a, as a model, as a test. And lo and behold, not only did his students uh, do better at exercise, but they did better in all the other subjects. Uh, Thank that you. And that's you, when you, you earlier you, you started asking me what my why was, and it's not just for the health aspect, but it makes all the other aspects of your life better. You know, Absolutely. if you break it down, you know, different groups, you know, they, they break down four different areas of our life where, you know, and you know, a mastermind group I go to, we call it the core four. And there's, you know, we have power, which is, you know, your physical health. You, we have purpose, which is your mindset, you know, and also you know, your spirituality fits into that. Mm -hmm. and you have production, which is your business and how you make money. And um, you have passion, which is your relationships, not just romantic relationships, but all your relationships. And the, so you have those four pillars and those four pillars are like legs of a table. Yeah. And so if one of those legs gets wobbly, or it's knocked out, what happens to the whole table? The whole table's gonna fall over. And Absolutely. so when, you know, if, if you are, you know, if, if you are acknowledging that, that power piece, then that means everything else. If you're taking better care of yourself, you're gonna be a better parent, you're gonna have better relationships, you're gonna be a better businessman, your mind is gonna function better because you're gonna be more alert and you have Absolutely. less mental fog and everything else. Everything else in that circle gets better. So. That makes perfect sense that, you know, not only were they, you know, getting in better shape, but they're doing better academically in the other areas. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, that was one of the things that excited me about being in the fitness field that I decided I want to, you know, be in since I was 11 years old. I said, I want to be in the fitness field. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But one of the things that I, I kept, kept seeing was, was that uh, all physical education programs, or at least most of them were, were like mandatory. Uh, which means their why wasn't that they wanted to do it. 
their why was they were being made to do it. If I don't do it, something bad is going to happen to me. Uh, I'm going to get a bad grade. We'll put something on your all-powerful record. And uh, uh, I never believed in that. I, I was always interested in the physical educator taking the responsibility for motivating people by doing just what you just said. Let's tell you about the, the benefits uh, of exercise. I remember back when I was traveling, uh, a lot of travel, travel with a band. I went to Iceland, uh, Keflavik, Iceland. Uh, we, we, oh, did, wow. we traveled uh, naval bases. Uh, was a part of a jazz band that I played with. And, and, uh, what, and what instrument do you play? I'm a percussionist. I play bongos and congas. I wanted to be a drummer, but had a fallen out with my music instructor for some reason. He thought I should, he thought I didn't need the book. Everybody else did. And he thought, I mean, really is anyway, it's a long story, but, <laughs> but, but I finally just gave up. I was doing, I was doing well. That was in grade school. I was doing well in all my other grades, but man, I was flunking the music test. And so I, I quit. And then I, if you're a drummer, you have to drum. I'm sorry. There, there's, and and I kind of got bongos and stuff and went to Japan in the military and kind of got discovered over there and ended up playing in cabarets and TV oh shows and then came back to the States and did some recordings and did some tours. But, but, uh, but we, we were, we were in uh, Keflavik, Iceland and uh, Bobby Fischer was, was playing in the world chess championship. Oh. So I started reading up on Bobby Fischer and I was looking at what this guy did for, for training to prepare for chess and I figured you know you lift weights to be able to move the you know <laughs> chess pieces well, how do you train for chess you know I say take this brain and, and figure out this no this guy's workout looks like he was trained to be a linebacker a linebacker I mean this guy had a physical oh, training God. program that was incredible I said what what's that got to do with chess the brain that hippocampus man the sure. part of your brain most responsive to, to exercise and a, a part of the brain most most important in focusing mm -hmm. for the uh, uh, physiologist that I've talked to about that. So, um, so yeah, uh, it, it's everything. When I was very, very young, how can you ignore this? This is universal, man. I mean, right. every, every body, physical body on the planet it needs to have a certain amount of exercise that's non-negotiable. I had a doctor in Mississippi who treated diabetes patient. He said 90% of his patients could have avoided being there had they been more successful with exercise. And sure. then I had a, a psychologist that said in Montana, uh, I asked him, what, what was he learning about exercise and, and, and you know, mental health? And he was saying, he's OG, I'll tell you, if I can get, if I can get my patient to, to walk for 30 minutes a day, I'd lose half my patients for, for depression. You know, mm -hmm. uh, people who are depressed, I'd lose half of them um, yeah. just because of the benefits of just walking 30 minutes a day. Absolutely. So, so those are great whys if people understand it, but, but we as professionals are relegated with the, the issue of, uh, can you explain it to us in a way that's reasonable to us? Don't talk down to us. Don't, don't use an in-group speech and speak in Latin and stuff like that. That doesn't help. You know, I, right. we don't speak Latin and, 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 you know, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time learning, but we, we, we do need, we do need help. We're open to help. And, uh, if, and if you can give us some, uh, uh, answers to questions, uh, like how do I solve the time problem? And I got bad knees and this type of thing. 
if you can do that without making us feel like we're idiots for asking the question. And then that would, that would also be helpful. So those are, those are things that I have looked for and I try not to get people to feel that, uh, that they're, they're bad people because they haven't solved this problem. Uh, most of us haven't solved this problem. Most people haven't solved it as well as they think they have, even though they're spending some time exercising. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to quantify how much is enough. Uh, let, let's say uh, theoretically, hypothetically, how much is enough if it's health. And so that's what I designed my test and took it around to medical societies and right. I said, tell me where I'm wrong. And, and nobody had anything to say. It amazed me. I, I had no idea that it would be that accepted, but, uh, and it's just, General information, it's out there for everybody if you're willing to look at it. But then you, in order to make it real, the name of the game is measurement once a week. And then don't forget to pat yourself on the back because everybody needs what I call applause. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's part of why having a coach is so key is, you know, you have that accountability component, but you also have that reinforcement component as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when the playing day is over, people look back at the coach and they don't usually talk about, about the greatest thing about the coach was learning to play football. The greatest thing about that coach was telling me how to live. Sure. How to, how to be a man, how to be a person. Right. An effective person. And, yeah, and that's the thing. The life lessons that people pick up from all of these exercise endeavors. And, you know, there's, there's life yeah. lessons. It's, it's mental toughness. You know, the, the challenge I'm doing now, it's a, the 75-day challenge I'm doing right now. The physical fitness that you're getting from it, that's a byproduct. The real <laughs> idea behind the whole challenge you know, cause there's that and a couple of other things, drinking a gallon of water a day and even reading 10 pages a day. And you know, but you got to do all these things 75 days straight. It's a mental toughness challenge. Oh, you bet. First and foremost. That's right. And, yeah. and that's, and that's my, that's my well, that's my wholeness. That's my wellness. You're building a whole person. Exactly. With, with all the components that are necessary. Because like you said, you know, if one leg on that table goes down, sorry, you know, the table is not going to stand up with three. And, uh, impacted. and I, I think, yeah, if we can impress that upon everybody and, you know, I, I think that'll help people to realize that exercise, it's not one of these luxuries that, you know, you see people, you know, I think sometimes in some people's mind, it's still the stereotype of, oh, you know, people go to their fancy club or, or whatnot and do their exercise. And no, this is not a luxury. This is a need. And it, it, it's, it's a need just like, you know, your utility bills and your, your, you know, your food, water and shelter this is something that's, that's going to be just as important and needs to be made that kind of priority. Yeah. Um, people, people find ways to get other things. They, you know, people, people are creative when there's something they really want to do. You know, that's the hey, other thing. Yes. People. See, you, you, you kids in college, it. you know, I, I gave this an example on one of my previous podcasts, you know, kids in college, you know, if they want to smoke marijuana, they turn into MacGyver to find a way to smoke that marijuana. Yeah. They, <laughs> they will find a way. They will find a way. And, and it's the same thing with fitness. If we want to get healthy, you know, it's, it's not about finding the time, you know, we make the time, you know, you, yeah. and, yeah. and that's, that, that's really what we've, uh, you know, we've got to get more people in the act of doing and from, from an early age. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like to see, you know, we, we, we're social creatures and, and, and we like to be, we like to feel like we belong. And in the area of fitness, uh, I, I've still, I, I've often thought, well, you know, if I got one last wish before I, you know, go to be with the Lord, you know, I, in the area of fitness, what, what would it be? And I, I would say, I wish this country would come up with a definition and measurable, uh, method of fitness that 
the general public could agree on. Right. You know, that we can come up with operational definition of how, operational how, definition measure it, of how, how much we're going to quantify it. Yeah, and and then you got no, don't have, don't have, got all these people killing each other over my exercise program is better than your program. <laughs> Who cares? You know, does it get you to the operational level of fitness that we contend is enough for health? Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's important. Is it sustainable? Does it get you there? And is it sustainable? Then you can go out and, and talk about recreation and the fun activities, but we got to get you fit enough to stay healthy, but we got to define what that is. And we as a nation have not done that. So we're fighting over the secondary issue, which is what do I do for exercise? I, lo I love the results that I get with my exercise method, my exercise program, but I'm here to tell you, I don't love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if you ask me what I want to do, I'd rather do basketball. I'd rather do karate. I, there are a lot of things I'd rather do for fitness, but sure. I found out that practically it's not going to work. Not with my lifestyle and, 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 and my commitment to the kids and, and, and the community. Forget it. Travel. Oh, no. It's like just you said in your, in your TED Talk, if, it, if it's fun, you're probably not doing it correctly. Yeah, probably not doing it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and I'd love to sit down and talk to you about it. You know? <laughs> let's see what you call fun and let's see what results are being produced from fun. If, if you're getting fit and you're staying fit, you probably have a one-sided de definition of fitness. Like the guy here in Seattle who won the Mr. Washington bodybuilding title, then three days later failed a five-minute cardiovascular endurance test with the Seattle Police Department. It was front page news. He, he flunked the test. They say there's a cardiovascular wreck. So we do what we tend to be already good at and call it fitness. Sure. Not fitness, it's just exercise, and surely it's an activity. But fitness, it, it reflects the health of the, the total body. And I know for a fact, if you have all that big strength and you don't have the good enough flexibility, you're going to be prone to injury. Exactly. And, and so you're, you're going you're to have to broaden your definition of fitness to make it more meaningful. But, and I also know that if it isn't fun, then you're going to have a hard time sticking with it. So you better make it fast <laughs> and uh, doable. So, yep. Yep. Make, really doable. make so, it fit into everybody's. Yeah. Good. Repertoire. OG, thank you so much for coming on. I, 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 uh, I'm sure we could probably talk for hours, but I need to be respectful of your time. And um, before we sign off here, uh, how can everybody find you? Uh, whether it be your website, social media, um, okay. you've got so much great content to share, uh, and, um, I would love for more people to be able to, uh, to learn as much from you as possible. H how can everybody find you? Well, the most basic way, of course, is my, my website, <clears throat> uh, ogshawfitness.com. Okay. And, um, uh, I'm still trying to piece together some things that I intended to already be on there, but, but we're still, it's a, it's a work in progress still. Uh, so ogshawfitness.com, uh, and then my email address, if you choose to do it that way, is ogshaw, O-G-I-E-S-H-A-W, at ogshawfitness.com. So ogshawfitness.com is my website, ogshaw, at ogshawfitness.com is my email. And then I'm doing a lot, of, I'm trying to be consistent with Facebook posts. People seem to enjoy that, and I, yes. I, I enjoy having an outlet to put that information out. So uh, just go to OG Shaw Fitness on Facebook and, uh, and read my post. I usually try to have a new post every uh, Monday morning. And, 
on, on various things regarding, you know, exercise. And they won't let me talk much about my exercise equipment on Facebook, but it's <laughs> fine. Uh, but, uh, and, and you can email me with questions. I'm getting some great questions. Uh, I'll just, it's incredible the, the people from all over the country that, that are contacting me about uh, getting help with various situations that, that they have. And, and I love doing that because I, I do a lot of study and I feel like the Maytag repairman that nobody asks me questions. <laughs> I got to have a way to share this stuff. So Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, I, I will make sure that that information about how to reach you is in the, in the show notes as well. And so, uh, so that folks can, uh, can reach out to you and to, um, like I said, benefit from all the, uh, the great knowledge that you've accumulated over the years. So we've got the dog okay. in the background here. All okay. right, folks. And, well, if there's, Oh, go ahead. And uh, yeah, I also have a newsletter and if you request, uh, you're getting on the newsletter. It will, we'll put you on the, the mailing list for that. And I, I, I got to put you on it because I want you on my community fitness leaders list. Cause, uh, you, you, uh, I'm sorry. You, you, I, I can, I know, I see that look in your eye and, and, and you're sold on, on this, on this topic. Oh, yeah. I absolutely am. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's why I'm, I'm, you know, in the process of, of building up, uh, as the fitness psychologist, um, because it's just, it, it all goes hand in hand. I mean, I, I was a psychologist first, but the physical fitness piece is so important and yeah. you really can't have one without the other. I mean, um, and so I, I think, you know, from a psychologist standpoint, we can treat so much depression and anxiety and so much, you know, so many aspects of mental illness. If you get people taking care of their physical health and conversely, you know, like the whole cost offset thing, I think we can save a lot of, you know, gazillions of dollars, if that's a real word, in terms of costs of medical treatment in the future, if we take the time to treat mental health and help people overcome these mental barriers that are getting in the way of taking care of themselves properly. Yep, and, absolutely. Um, so I, I think this is something that people are starving for and it's it's a need and, um, you know, and I think we need to be the leaders at the forefront of it. And, Amen, good, so, uh, good. I'll tell you how much I appreciate you. Yes. Well, I, same here. I, I feel like I'm talking to another fitness pioneer. So uh, welcome to the club. But man, <laughs> we'll, we'll put up a lot of prayers for you because it's, it's tough out here with, when they start coming down and they don't want to change. And, you know, uh, but it's it, like you say, it's, it's needed. It has to be done. And, uh, and we're the ones that do it. And so I just look back at the Wright brothers and everybody else that came along with something, something different and new. And I read somewhere that if the change that people are being asked to make is more than a 10% change beyond what they already know and are comfortable with, then they will resist the change. And so uh, Wright brothers come along and say, let's fly an airplane. And people say, ah, you can't fly an airplane. God wanted you to have to, to, to fly. He would have made you with wings, you know? Right. So they got abused for that. So I, I just, I just accept that that's kind of comes with the territory and, and uh, just, just focus. I'm, yep. I'm going to be persistent at it and I'm going to wear them down. Yeah, we just got to get get people doing that uh, one degree shift each day. There you go. That works. Thanks so much for letting me do this. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Okay, folks. Uh, if once again, if, it, if if anything resonated with you from from this episode and uh, if um, you, you have found something that added value for you, please go onto iTunes, Spotify, YouTube and, sound, or, and or SoundCloud and leave a five-star review. 
Hope everybody has a great rest of their week. And as always, be good to yourselves.